things to do constantly, no matter where you're going um, and who you are, and I, and I understand that. Um, but the most important part, I think, is just what uh, we, get, we need to make time. Um, I, I tell people all the time, we have, every day we have something going on at our church. If you can't be here on Sunday morning, then be there on Sunday night. If you can't be here on Sunday night, be here on Wednesday night. If you can't be here on Wednesday night, come Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock. If you can't be here on Wednesday morning or Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, then Monday night we have a class. And then also we have one on Tuesday night. And then Thursday we have Bible studies at the nursing home and we have all the stuff we have. To go. You can go to jail with us if you ain't got time to do anything else. We'll take you to jail. I mean, there's an opportunity for you every single week to do something, to be set in God's house, to be fed by the Lord and have corporate worship. And, and if you're saying, well, you know what, I'm busy all those times. Well, you tell me when you're not busy and we'll have church right then. All right, you, you just give me that time. I'll be right here. You show up and I'll preach at you. All right, we'll do that. Um, but we're thankful that God gives us that possibility. And uh, without um, God, we would not be able to do that. But if you would, turn your Bibles today to Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be as we're walking through the Word of God. Um, I want to share with you, it's important today um, to have confidence. And I hope and pray that we put confidence in our kids to know that they're able to do this and they're, they're, they can fight hard enough to get this done. We do that. I, I believe we instill that in our children. But what I want to share with you, something we need to be able to preach and to proclaim is the need to have confidence in Christ Jesus. Confidence in our faith is what we need. Um, I hate the feeling of being unprepared. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of people have dreams. Maybe some of us have dreams where you, maybe you've had a dream where you're, you're back in high school or wherever you're at and you don't, can't find your homework or you, you've, you've got a test and you're not prepared for it. You don't know your locker um, combination or some kind of dream of that nature that you're scared, it, you're really worried about that, and it, it makes give you that uneasing feeling. Um, and we do that. We have those people have dreams like that because we don't have it. I have a dream that I'm standing in front of the pulpit and have absolutely nothing to say. And my wife says, you know, that's crazy because I've never seen that before. <laughs> um, but uh, right, I understand. But I hate feeling unprepared. Um, but I love feeling prepared, confident, knowing what I'm getting ready to do. Because um, nobody likes to feel like they're not good enough or they're not worthy or they feel small. No one wants to feel small or inadequate. Nobody likes that feeling whatsoever. But just as Ken was sharing, on, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Job. And last Wednesday, we, we went through the book of Job, chapter 84, 30, 84 38. Um, verse 4 is what we're going to say. I have way too many numbers in my head at this moment. Um, and what we see is Job has had a time of complaining, a season of, of complaining that he does not feel like he's getting a fair shot at what's going on. He feels like maybe um, God has abandoned him, turned his back on him, and he really didn't do anything to deserve that. Has anybody ever felt like Job before? <laughs> maybe God, you, you forgot about me. You know, you... You're, you shouldn't have done that. That's not fair. Look what I've done. Look what I do. Why would you let this happen to me? That's what Job was doing. He was questioning God. And, and he'd spent almost 36 chapters in the book of Job just giving God down the road. Um, and not only that, but his friends and, and Elihu the same way. And finally the Lord speaks. Job is excited to hear from God, but, <laughs> but it's probably not going to be excited to hear what God has to say. 
but he's thankful at least God's speaking to him. And God says something as solid as you could say, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. I love that because you can hear that sarcasm in the Lord's voice because when the Lord created the earth and set the foundations of the earth and established them and, and tied them all together, he didn't see Job anywhere. He didn't see Chuck anywhere, and he didn't see you anywhere. Because why? He created the world on his what? Own. And he didn't need our help. So now today, Job is questioning God and how God is doing something in his life, and he feels like maybe God is wrong. So God looks at Job and says, Job, where were you when I built this place? I didn't see you. Tell me where you were. You were not here, Job. I did this on my own. How many of us need that? I need to be reminded that I am not God and he is. That he's the one that created this universe, not me. And yes, he does know best of what he's doing in my life. And what I have to do is trust him. Job needed to hear that. But God was not trying to make Job small and insignificant and inadequate and make Job feel bad. God was not on this power thing that he was, I'm better a person than you are. You're nothing, Job. You're insignificant. No, that's not what God does. That's a bully does that. What God was showing was this. He was just gently reminding Job that he is not in charge of this universe. That he is not the creator of this universe, but God is. And that he is the one who created Job. And Job, he knows everything about him. And yes, he knows what's good and what's bad. And yes, he is in control. And me and you need to hear that as well. It's not that God is saying that we're small and mean nothing to him. Because we know how much he, we mean to him. We mean enough that he sent his only begotten son to us. He loves us, doesn't he? But he wants to remind us that he is God and that he is on the throne today. We need, need this reminder not to destroy our confidence, but to give us confidence. And our confidence should be in the Lord. I'm thankful that I was not there on the day God, God created this world. If I was here on the day that God created this world, man, I'd have been slapped. You know what? I'd had so many suggestions. <laughs> I'd had so many comments, so many questions. I sit back and watch people right now do things, and I have no idea what they're doing, but I love giving them advice. You know, maybe you ought to try this. How do you know what I'm doing? I don't know, but I think you ought to try this. I do it all the time. I, I, I'm, I'm able to help anytime you need help. I'm just here, right? We're like that. But God did not even need us. He created this universe without us. Are you amazed? I'm not, because God is almighty, and he's, that's who he is. And so today what he's going to show us is that we have the ability to be confident. I love that our kids are going upstairs and learning today the books of the Bible, and they're going through the same sermon we're going through right now as well. You know what happened to me when I was their age? The people that are pouring into your kids, I had people who poured into me, and you did in you as well. And they taught me a verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which means a lot to nobody, but to me it means everything. Every single day of my life, when I get up, I quote to myself, be confident in this very thing. He that begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
I learned that when I was a kid, and I have never, ever forgotten it. And it goes with me every single day. You think worship kids style is insignificant? You think um, uh, Sunday school is insignificant? You think those kids learning these Bible verses are insignificant? Why do you know all those Bible verses that you learned from when you was a kid? Because it's significant and it's a part of your life. On, on, on the World Wide Web, whatever is going on, the, the social media, there's a guy going around in Walmart giving people 20 bucks for every Bible verse they could, they could quote. I will break that man if he ever shows up in my Walmart. Not because I'm good, because I had people who poured into me when I was a kid and I learned those Bible verses. And I'm thankful for that and we are there because I need to be confident. Not in myself, but in this very thing. The work that God began in me. And I'm thankful for that today. So today we're going to look in Acts chapter 20 and we're going to see the model of confidence in Christ. And his name's Paul. He was confident. He was so confident that he was ready already to stand before God. Do we got that kind of confidence today? I hope we do. And I hope that we're able to leave God's house today with that confidence in Christ Jesus. So what I want you to do is walk with me. And I was going to read, but I'm already running a little bit late. So I'm going to skip up in there. And we're going to see first in verses 17 through 19, we're going to see that Paul had a consistent life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a consistent life. Read with me in verses 17 through 19. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come, had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I've always lived among you. The very first thing we see is Paul saying this, you know me. From the very first time I stepped upon this continent of Asia, you know what I've been doing. I've been doing the Lord's work. I've not done anything else. That's who I am. Paul had a consistent life. And you know what? That's great for us. Because as a pastor right now, and I, and I don't want this to be hurtful to nobody, or it, it's preaching, it's stepping on my toes more so than it's stepping on your toes. The number one problem we have in our, our spiritual life is inconsistency. We need consistency. We need to be able to say, you know what, ever since I stepped foot in this, this city, I've been serving the Lord. Paul said, ever since I've stepped on the continent of Asia, you know me. I've been serving the Lord. We need that kind of consistency in our lives. So how do you do this, the work of the Lord? And it's great for us to understand and see what Paul's talking about. Paul gave himself to the work of the Lord. Paul was not interested in making money. Verse 33 says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He said, I've not checked out. Anybody, I've not been looking at what you make or what you don't make, looking at your money or, or your gold or anything like that. I'm not jealous of that. He said, that's not what I am. And then in verse 34 and 35, he says, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and that for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must, must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what we see today is this. Paul gave himself 
to the work of the Lord. And as long as he, as soon as he stepped on the continent of Asia, that's what he's been doing. It reminds us of the book of Luke chapter 9, where the Bible says that we should put our hands to the plow and never, ever look back. If you look back, you're going to go in some other direction or go in the other direction. But if you put your hands on a plow and don't look back and just go ahead, you will go straight towards the mark that you're going for. And that's what me and you need in our life is that hand to the plow, consistent life, not looking back, just going forward to the glory of the Lord. Baal was not interested in making money. He was not interested in enjoying life, and the easy life. He was a bond servant of Jesus. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 1, that Christ is a bond, he's a, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of Christ. Have you ever considered yourself, and have I ever considered myself, as a bond servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ? That's why he was consistent in his life. He was not the master of his own life, but he served a master, and that master's name was Jesus Christ. So what happened was that master, Jesus, was in charge of absolutely everything that Paul did, and he was consistently in that understanding. And because of that, Paul had built special relationships with people. Um, Paul poured himself into other people. Just, I am so thankful. And just as, as uh, Ken um, went through the, his Sunday school teachers and the impact that made upon his life, I hope and pray today that you can do that in your mind right now, that you can have that remembrance of the people that poured into your life. And guess what? It didn't stop some other time back in the 70s. We still need people to pour into people's life today. We still need people to step up and say, you know what? I had people pour into me and, and, and give their life and faithfully serve me and tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ and share with me and mentor me. So now it is my responsibility to do, to do what? To pour back into someone else and to give back to them as, as well. And I'm thankful for that. He invested his time in other people. How did he invest his time in other people? Humbly. He, was, he could have been a celebrity. All the things that Paul had done, all the miracles that he had performed, all the raisings of the dead, all the, 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 the sickness being healed, he could have been a celebrity, but he did not do it in a celebrity place. He did it humbly before the Lord and with compassion. He gave it with all of his heart and with everything that he had. The Bible says that he was not ashamed. Listen, he was not ashamed of sharing about the tears that he shed because of the troubles that he went through with the Jews who plotted against him. He, he allowed them to understand that, in, that what he was going through, and he was honest with them, and he shared about the problems and the trials he had with everybody else. So he did it with compassion. He did it with humility. He had relationships with other people. And that's exactly today how we build um, relationships and do serve people today. And what we need to have is a consistent life just like the Apostle Paul. The second thing I want to show you is that we, Paul had a consistent message. A consistent message. In verses 20 and 21, it tells us about his message that he had. The Bible says in verse, in verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him. Well, I, wind blew my Bible back. I knew that 21 sounded very weird. In verse 21, in chapter 20, which would help us a lot since we're there, um, 
it tells us <laughs> how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul not only had a consistent life, but Paul preached a consistent message, and he taught a consistent message. Paul never held back. Listen to what he says in verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was helpful. You know what I believe our problem is today is we hold back. I, I know there's a lot of coaches in the room, and, and I know we love sports and, and everything, but you know what, when you're working with a kid and even even in music or even in, in sports or in academics or whatever you have, there's always holding back, right? They're not always giving everything they have. There's something they're holding back. And we do that today spiritually, and we hold back. And, and maybe we don't want to offend someone. We don't want to say something we shouldn't say. We're just trying to be sensitive, and, and, we, and we hold back. But you know what Paul said? I, he, Paul had a consistent life, and he did not hold back. Why did he not hold back? Why did he preach the whole counsel of God's word? Why did he just let it go out and preach God's word? Because it was helpful for those people. They needed it. It was profitable to them. That was their salvation. When you preach the word of God, when you share the word of God, don't hold anything back. Tell them the truth of what Jesus Christ has done. And we need to have that because there's been too long that we've held back and not shared the truth. It's been too long that we've held back so we wouldn't offend somebody. It's been too long that we held back because we really didn't know how they felt. And Paul said, you know what? I, don't, I didn't hold back. I didn't keep anything from you because you needed it. It was profitable for you. It was helpful for you. That's exactly what we needed. We preach the word of God today because it's needed. That's why we preach the word of God. He always preached the message to them, and he gives two locations where he preached the message to them, in the streets and at home. You know what he's saying? I preached you the same message on the street that I preached you at home. It don't ever change no matter where we're at. I don't preach one message one place and one message another place. I preach the, preach the truth of the gospel everywhere I'm at, and you've seen that because my message is consistent. You know what? We need to have a consistent message. The message, the gospel of grace of God never has ever changed and it never ever will change. And we've been preaching the same gospel. I've been had the privilege of doing it for 30 years and I hope and pray if God holds back um, and don't take us anytime soon or my heart don't give out or something of that nature that I get to preach another 30 years because you know what? When I get to heaven, ain't no more preaching in heaven. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven? Singing. I'll be up here with, with Danny and James and whoo, letting go of it not holding back out there on the singing and praising the glory of God. But until then, we're still going to preach, and we ain't going to hold back anything. We're going to preach the whole entire word of God, the whole counsel. And that's what Paul the apostle said, that he did not hold back. I am so thankful that I've had men in my life who have not held back, and they preached to me the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the third thing I want to show you in verses 22 and 23 and 24 and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, 
the chains and tribulations await me. But listen to what Paul said after he knows not what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows it's going to be tough, but he don't know what it's going to be. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Paul had a consistent goal, desire, wish. What was it? To finish the work that the Lord had given him. You know what Paul wanted to hear? Is what I want to hear and what you want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what Paul wanted to do. That was the goal. God had given him a job. Jesus Christ had given him what to do. A message to preach, a life to live, a goal to set. And what he wanted to do was do that with everything that he had. It's like those things that we see on all the time. You had one job. You know what? We got one job. And that job is to bring honor and glory to our holy God. We have one job. To honor him and to glorify his holy name. Tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And that's what, what he said. That, that's my job. I, 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 I want to do this until the Lord takes me. That is goal-oriented. That's focused. That means nothing else matters. But the problem is this. Maybe you know your Bible, maybe you don't know. But we don't know if the Apostle Paul was married. And, and we don't know, and know pretty sure he didn't have any kids. So the Apostle Paul didn't have to get in the car line. He didn't have to go to soccer practice. He didn't have band tryouts and cheerleader this and that. Uh, he wasn't stretched out all over the world going different places. So what, what can we do to us who have families? We have jobs, we have mortgages and houses to, to keep up. Debt, that single focus where nothing else, nothing else matters um, seems to be difficult. Should we abandon our families? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and, worse, and is worse than an unbeliever. Does that sound like someone who wants us to, de to deny our family, to, to abandon our family? No. But what we do see is this. The support of our family is part of our call. Our very first mission field was not in Romania. My very first mission field was not in Louisa. My very first mission field was in my house. With my family. That's where it started. And that, we understand, is the goal of our, of our heart, is what we want to do, is that we, even though we have responsibilities that takes us to and fro, what we do, still do, is we put God first in our life. Well, what about our family? When we put God first in our life, all that other stuff is going to get in exact place and work out exactly the way God would have it to hand, work out. God is first in our lives. My life is worth nothing to me 
unless I use it for doing the work the Lord has given to me. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I'm a wasted life if I'm not using my life to do that which God's called me to do. The call of God on our lives impacts everything in our lives. Why is life so hard? Very simply this. We may be going in the wrong direction. Why is it difficult? Because we're going against God. His calling on our life. And we love competition in Lawrence County. I don't know if you where you were on Friday night. Most of us was at the gym at the high school. And we got to see two of the best ball, ball games you've ever seen in your life. And how it ended was just really wild and crazy. The band was playing and uh, all this stuff. My phone um, came, came on and warned me six times that I was in a, a, a dangerous and loud environment that I needed to get out of it. My phone was against it. It was like, you need to get out of here. This is too loud, right? Um, and we got to see it because we love competition. And that's this, it was a great a competitive games. But let me share this with you. There is a great competition that happens in your life every moment of life. That competition is someone or something is fighting for the position of number one in your heart. Someone or something is fighting God for the number one position in your heart right now. You know who that is or who what that is. Why? Because you watch the fight every day. You, you watch that competition happen every single day. But you know what decision we must make in our life? The Lord must be number one in my life. We must allow him victory, give him victory in our lives to be number one. The Lord was in first place in Apostle Paul's life. And that's why he had that confidence in God that we need today. I want to allow, read the last two verses, three verses in, in at, of this, this morning. In Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. And indeed, now I know that you, all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He's getting ready to leave. Go into Jerusalem. He don't know if he's going to live. He don't, know if he, ever, he don't think he'll ever be back to Asia ever again. So what he's saying is, you'll probably never see my face again. So he's given them this farewell address. But listen to what he said in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That is a bold, bold statement. To be able to say, you know me, ever since I stepped on the foot in this continent of Asia, I have not stopped doing the word of preaching to you and teaching to you the word of God. You've, you know that. I've been here and I've done that. I've preached the exact same message to you and I've had one goal that you would know the story of what Jesus Christ has done for you. The good news. And you know what he says? This is probably the last time you will see my face. But my hands are clean. I'm innocent of the blood of all you men and women because what I've done is what God told me to do. You know what, what Paul was telling them? Guys, I told you what to do, but it's your decision to believe it or not. And I've cleaned my hands. I have clean hands. When I leave, 
you know the gospel. There's only one other time in the New Testament we've heard a similar phrase. It was the week of Passion. They bring Jesus Christ before the Pontius Pilate. And they bring him up with accusations before Pontius Pilate, and he listens to them. And Pontius Pilate looks at the accusers and says, I have found no guilt in this man. And he walks over to a concrete, probably sink, or in that, in that time, and he washes his hands. And he says, do with him what you want. What's the difference between those two washings of hands? When Paul speaks that his hands are clean because he has done the work of the Lord, he speaks of his hands being clean because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. They had been made clean by Jesus himself. But unfortunately, Pontius Pilate is declaring himself clean. But his hands were as dirty as everybody else's. You do not have, and I do not have, the power to declare my life clean or my hands washed. Paul was confident that his hands were clean. Why? Because they were cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is not in us, in our works, in our behavior. Our confidence lays upon Jesus Christ. Because there's a bunch of people who have some really big, <laughs> have some confidence in themselves. Like Pontius Pilate thinking he was able to clean his own hands. You're not able. You do not have the ability to wash those blood, that blood off your hands. It can only be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Today, our family needs someone in their house to be consistent. All of us love riding roller coasters. But no one of us would like to live on a roller coaster. It'd get real old real, real fast. Majority of our kids today live on a spiritual roller coaster because they live in an inconsistent home with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need consistency in our faith. And our kids need to see that consistency. Our community needs us to be consistent to preach the same message that has always been preached. This world needs us to have a consistent goal to bring honor and glory to God Almighty. When I am not consistent, He is. When I am not faithful, He is. So I am so thankful that when I have fallen short, and I have, that he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and do what? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I can still have confidence in Christ because he has been faithful to me. Because Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. There's uh, something happened a couple weeks ago in Lawrence County that was special. I didn't, I'm, I just got a hold of it this week, and it blessed my heart. Um, Cletus T. Judd <laughs> uh, was, went to all of our kids, and I don't know if he went to all of them or not. Did he go to all of them? Just Blaine. And um, he, he gave a speech, a motivation speech. And he, um, he's a pretty funny guy. I got to meet him, and he's, he's, I love his accent. Um, and he was sharing with the kids out in Blaine um, how, to, how important it was to have people in your life. And he, he shared with them, he said, guys, uh, no matter what happens in your life, you're, you're blessed because you have all these teachers and these coaches that, you, that surround you in your life that you can, you can depend on when something goes wrong. You can go to them. They can be the first people you go to. They're, they're right there ready to respond to help you. You have friends that are, that are in class with you that, that are your best friends maybe. When something bad happens, you're blessed because you can go to them and, and, and share with them. And, and you've got a mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or guardian or somebody at home that when something happens, you don't have to feel bad that you can actually go to them and tell them what's happening when, you, when it's going wrong. And he finished up his, uh, his motivational speech, and, and one little kid had a question. Sixth grader, six, uh, first grader, named Tristan. He raised his hand, and Cletus Judd looked at him and said, Son, what is it? What, what's your question? Is He said, Mr. Judd, you're wrong. What? <laughs> well, you, well, I don't want to be mean, but, but you're wrong. And he, he didn't know what to do. He had no, no idea what was getting ready to happen. He said, well, what do you mean I'm wrong? He said, the first person you go to when something goes wrong is God. Please, Judd said it changed everything for him right there. That God used six, a first grade little boy, six years old, a little city of blame to change who he is. Because you know what? God is first in our life. Lord Jesus is the first person we run to. And he says this, Come unto me, all that you are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. Our problem is, is that we've been running all around to other people, other places, and other things. But Jesus is first in our life. He taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus is first. Everybody and everything else is second. There's a competition happening in your life right now. Who's going to win? What's going to win? Let go and let Jesus be in the throne of your life. Let him be the Lord of your life. Because you know what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is all we need. Jesus is first. Well, God, I'd ask right now that we believers would be able to remember our first love. That moment that we gave our life over to, your, to you. You saved us from our sins. And Lord, we know that over the years it is easy for us to grow cold and forget about the first love that we've had in you.
Lord, the competition of this world has been heavy. Lord, someone or something has taken it. Lord, forgive us. Allow, Lord, we want you to be in a priority in our life. Lord, for the believer, unbeliever today who has yet to believe, they've been searching, trying to find someone to run to. Lord, your holy word tells us that you are our sanctuary. You are our strength. You are our ever-present help in time of trouble. Lord, may they run to you and cry out to you.